us talking about the Word of God won't do us any good. We need the actual spirit of Jesus to come here and be our teacher, to be our guide. So let's pray and let's ask him to do that. Jesus, we, we call upon you and ask you to be uh, for us what we need to, to save us today again. Lord, we know that uh, we have begun this relationship with you by faith. And Lord, today we continue it in faith and humility. Lord, coming to you and your word, uh, God, and believing that you can speak to us in our hearts, in our place today. I know some of us in here had a great week with no complaints, and some of us in here had a, had a tragic week. And Lord, you can meet each one of us exactly where we are. And so, Father, uh, we ask that your spirit would just come upon us now, that you would speak to us, that you would bring comfort to those who need comfort and joy to those who are lacking joy. Father, we thank you so much for your word and and for the, the lessons and the direction, how it's so supernaturally put together, and how your constant message of love and grace just permeates the whole thing. God, we thank you for that. We praise you, Jesus. Without you, our bones are, are truly dry bones, and, and we're just that desert soul that we've been singing. Lord God, we worship you. We praise you. We're going to wait just a few moments and just ask for you to, to, to speak to our hearts. Lord, we give your spirit just a moment to tell us how much you love us. Father, we trust you. And Lord, we seek you out this morning. We could have stayed home. It was really snowy. We could have shoveled. We could have done so many other things, God. But, Lord, we want you. Jesus, we need you. Please send us your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Today's study is called Three Ways to Waste Your Life. Three Ways to Waste Your Life. We all want our lives to matter. And no one ever hopes when they uh, are little to be an extra in a big movie. You want to be the action star when you're a little boy. You want to be the princess when you're a little girl. Nobody ever hopes they can be the person who had the tiny little scene in, a, in an action movie. And as we live our lives, though, we can sometimes get tricked. As we grow, the meaning of life can get fuzzy. Or maybe it's always just been a mystery to you. I believe that the saddest day is when someone realizes that they've wasted their whole life that they weren't even an extra in the story of their life, that they just didn't do anything that mattered. You could say, what they've done doesn't matter a lot, which is ironic because we're going to be learning about Lot today. Lot is the subject. He is the man that we're going to be talking about. You could say they wasted a lot of their time. Nice. I worked hard on that one. Didn't come really, really come through, but it was awesome. Anyway, it's so sad when people, when we waste our lives. Lot, today, we're going to see, he completely wastes his life. Yet he's saved. He is saved. 
but he does nothing that matters. So let's go ahead and dive in to Genesis chapter 19 and see what I'm talking about today. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. He was sitting in the gates. Now this is very important for us to understand. Right here at the beginning, we see something about Lot's life, is that he's sitting in the gates, which back in the day, there was a seat at the gate where the governor of the city would sit. And there was many uh, different officials, and they would kind of take turns sitting there, and they would have different seats for the different governing officials. But it was a civic area of responsibility, which means that Lot is actually in the leadership of this city, which is very interesting because we've seen this progression in Lot's life. In chapter 13, verse 10, it tells us that he was just looking towards Sodom. He was with, with uh, Abraham at that point, and, and they were, they, he was like, we need to separate. We're, we're too big for the land. And Lot lifted his eyes and looked towards Sodom. And then in chapter 13, verse 12, he, he pitched his tents towards Sodom. He's just kind of opening himself towards the possibility of hanging out with the Sodom people, of getting involved in what's going on in Sodom. He's, 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 he's warming up to the idea. Then in chapter uh, 14, we see him just living in Sodom. He just said, you know what, I'm, I'm all in. I'm going to go live in Sodom. And then now he is actually governing Sodom. When I was in Israel, I saw in, uh, up in the north in Tel Dan, there's, uh, they found the ruins of the city, and there's actually one of the seats there, and I got to sit in the seat like I was the enemy. I took I got a funny picture, but um, the seats were actually there. They were just a big seat, and if you had a problem, if you had to pay your taxes, if you had, to, uh, had an issue with something in the city, you could just go there and speak to them, and that's, uh, Lot is taking care of running this city now. That's what Lot's doing. So, Lot, we know that Lot was saved. We studied a verse last week to show that, but he is wasting his life. In 2 Peter, we'll, we're going to go back and look at that verse right now. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, it says, uh, God delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his soul, from day to day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So we learned several things that we're going to hit on in this one scripture relating back to what we're going to talk about. Number one, that he was righteous. He knew God. He had said the prayer. He had trusted in God. And he, he had learned about God through traveling with Abraham and, and being part of Abraham's life. And so we know here, the Bible tells us he was righteous. Second, that he was oppressed which means he was bothered. He was bothered by the behavior of the people. He, he, he was not just insulated. He wasn't just, I'm, I'm living my... No, he was affected by them. He was affected by their sin. He wasn't just okay with everything he was seeing, all right? But he was living there, and he was governing them. The next thing we learn here, number one, he was righteous. Number two, he was oppressed. Number three is that he dwelled among them. He chose to get into the same stuff that they were into. He could have stayed with Abraham, but he chose to look towards Sodom. He could have just pitched his tent outside the city,
But no, he wanted to be in there. He wanted to be right there. He wanted to be into the same stuff. Even if he wasn't necessarily sinning, involved in the really wicked stuff, he was still there and he was still, this is my culture. These are my people. This is where I want to be. Okay? So we're kind of painting this picture of Lot right now. And the fourth thing we learned from this is that he tormented his righteous soul from day to day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. The choices that he made brought torment to his soul. These choices that he made brought torment to his own soul. It just wasn't right. He could feel it inside. All of his suggestions, all of his spoken or even unspoken opposition to the public policies they have, it didn't matter. He was tormenting his own soul. This was his choice to live there, and he chose to torment his own soul. Now, this is very interesting. We're going to get into it a little bit later. But why? Why did he torment his own soul? Because of one word, compromise. Compromise. Compromise destroyed Lot's testimony. Compromise destroyed Lot's testimony. He, he was more concerned with unity than purity. And he will be pathetically ineffective in his ministry to these people. I totally understand if he wanted to, to minister to the people, but he didn't. He was ineffective completely. He didn't minister one thing to anyone. And you know, the, the biggest parallel, I'll, I'll bring it out right now, is missionary dating. People think, oh... He's such a, a wonderful guy. I'm a Christian. He's not a Christian. But I'm going to date him to get him to be a Christian. And I understand the thoughts. But what you're doing is you're joining yourself in a way that is going to be completely ineffective. Ineffective. Because they're not in it for the same things that you're in it for. And we're going to see this kind of play out. We're going to see how this works. Because the first way to waste your life, the first way to be completely ineffective in ministry is given to us right here. Be known for your compromise. Or don't go all in. Be afraid of the risks. Be afraid of going all in with Jesus, of being completely sold out, born again, believer, on fire, Holy Spirit, filled guy. Be afraid of that. That will waste your ministry. When Lot saw them, uh, back in our text here, it says, when Lot saw them, back in Genesis chapter 19, verse 2, he rose to meet them. So he's sitting there in the, in the front of the city. He sees the angels, and somehow he knows that they're angels, and he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself down, his face towards the ground, and he said, verse 2, here, my, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night. Wash your feet, and then you may rise early and go on your way. Kind of like, um, you guys need to get out of here as soon as possible. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned to him and entered his house. 
You know, they're like, no, we're going to spend the night in the, in the square. And he's like, you do not want to do that. This is a neighborhood you do not want to hang out in. Then he made them a feast and baked them unleavened bread, and they ate. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, please, my brethren, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. Lot here, he tries to appeal to them as his brothers, his brethren. He minimizes the difference between them between the saved and the lost. He's more concerned about unity than purity. He tries to get them to modify their behavior. He just says, stop doing this. Stop being wicked. Stop sinning. But they are wicked because they're dead. Spiritually. So he's really saying, if you think about it, stop being dead and start living. Start being alive. He's trying to legislate morality. And legislating morality does not work because it does not give people new hearts. It does not bring people who are dead to life. It's a law. It's a law. And it's a lie. Telling someone they can just change who they are is impossible and cruel. How can a leper change his spots, the Bible says? You can't just tell someone, change. Be a better person. Try a little harder. It's like going into a cemetery and yelling to all the corpses, get up and try harder to be alive. You guys all stink at living. You're terrible at this. Of course, they're dead. They are dead. So the second way to waste your life is by trying to change the world by simply telling them to change. Trying to change the world by simply telling them to change. Now, a lot of Immature Christians, even some immature churches, try to tell the world they need to change. And they do it great with picket signs, don't they? They use picket signs. They're, they're just great at holding those picket signs saying, you should change, you should change, and you should change. And they're wasting their lives. They are ineffective in ministry completely ineffective in ministry. Why? Because they're just giving people the law. Here, here's a law. Do this. Here's the old covenant. Do it and live. Do it and live. You do it and live. That is a promise with the law. If you do it, you'll live. But here's the problem. What's the problem? Nobody can do it. You can't do it. Here, just give some more efforts Here's some more human abilities. Just give me your best human abilities. Lot is saying, my brothers, you're not that bad. You just need to try a little bit harder. 
Maybe if we had a better structure or program, you wouldn't be so carnally minded. Maybe if I came up with some political strategy, you wouldn't be trying to bang down my door right now in sin. Here, let me, Lot might say, here, let me give you some reasons to be good. He tries to give them some reasons. He said, uh, what's he say? He says, don't do so wickedly. You're my brethren. We're not that different. Well, in verse 8, it says, see now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since it is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. The third way to waste your life is to try to get things done in your flesh. Which part of this, Lot's suggestion, which part of this glorifies God? None of it. This is literally so stupid, what Lot is saying. He is trying his best to save a bad situation. He's trying in his own efforts, his own flesh. This is the best he can come up with. Take my daughters and rape them. That's the best his flesh can offer. That's the best he has. And what is he communicating? He, he, he's so confused, his message is getting all messed up to them. He, he, he's basically communicating to them, it's just the kind of sexual immorality that's the problem. You guys just shouldn't be gay. Here, take my daughters, that, that'll fix everything. That's not the problem. The kind of sexual immorality isn't the problem, it's the immorality. It's the sin. But he's afraid, and he has no ability to minister to them in the flesh, because the flesh can't please God. The flesh can't change people. The flesh can't do anything right. We're hopelessly corrupt in our efforts and our abilities. That's why Jesus says, stop trying and start receiving. Die to your flesh and live through me. This is just a terrible idea. It's a complete lack of faith. His daughters aren't perfect, as we shall see, but nobody deserves to be offered up like this. This is horrendous. And when we try to get things done in our flesh, we end up harming the people that we love. In our marriages, when you're like, I'm going to do my best in this marriage through my own efforts. You just watch God. You watch people. You watch, honey. I'm going to do my best. Your marriage, you will hurt the people that you love. Parenting, I'm going to do it in my own efforts, I'm gonna, the way I figure I should do it. Work, every area of life, our flesh screws it up. Our flesh messes it up. When we attack our problems without going to the Lord in prayer, we are going to hurt the people that we love. And so many times I need to remember this when I just rush in to try to fix a situation and I didn't take a moment to say, God, help me, direct me. And give me what you would have me to do. I, sur I surrender to you what you would have me to do. And I'm nowhere perfect in this. And I need to listen to my own preaching right now. Because I do it all the time still. 
But this is how we can be ineffective and waste our lives. The opposite of this rushing in and and trusting in the flesh is called waiting upon the Lord. Reading his word and praying combined to wait upon the Lord. And when you do that, before you tackle something, you're, you're tackling it in the spirit. You're tackling it through the Lord, and you're not doing it in your flesh. You're saying, I specifically don't trust my flesh in this situation. You're on the right path. God is going to be helping you out there. It's trusting his guidance and his spirit. Well, verse 9, they say, stand back. Then they said, this one came to stay here, and now it keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And this verse shows just how the world feels about Christians who are just telling them to change. They're fed up with it. Lot's misdirected attempts to be a godly leader, to provide spiritual leadership to this community, they have failed so miserably. All the world sees him, and and he looks just like them. He looks no different. He's been trying to minimize the difference between them, saying, you're my brethren, you're my brethren, and... And they started to believe it. They said, yeah, we're the same. So why are you telling us what to do? He, they, he came, they say, he came in here to stay here. You do the same stuff as us. Your life doesn't look any different than, than us. Where is your victory over sin? Show me and I'll believe. So he, he's into the same stuff. His life doesn't look different. And, and he's being judgmental. And the world does not like that, do they, in Christians? You're not helping at all when you're being judgmental like Lot was here. You're just telling me I need to change. Well, how do I change? You don't even know that I've tried to change, but I don't find the strength in me. And you're not telling me how to change. And I just wish Lot knew how to truly minister to the people by saying, come to Jesus and he will affect the change in you. You come to him in humility and faith, in repentance, and he'll help you. He'll change you. He'll give you life from the inside. But he didn't know how to minister to people. And the church today has to start witnessing to the world, meaning we have to start sharing the world with the world how to change. Not a lot of people argue with the standards in the Bible. A few people do, but they're the fringe. Most people that you talk to in the world say, yeah, the Ten Commandments are fine. They're right. I just know that I break them all the time. And I have no idea how to stop doing that. And when I went to church, they told me to try harder, and I don't buy that. We have to start telling them how. We have to start witnessing to the world, telling them how. And what is that? That Jesus will give them a new heart by his grace. That he will change them from the inside. It's not difficult to change an evil heart. It's impossible. It has to die and be raised up in amazing power by his grace. That has to be our message as the church. We have to stop having a message of stop sinning. 
that's not the message. The sin isn't the obstacle. Our hearts are the obstacle. I hope nobody ever comes into our church and we say, well, you better stop sinning before the next time you come. Because then all of us should stay home. Because all of us sin. But Jesus takes responsibility for that. He, he just wants you to come, no matter if you're gay, if you're this or that. He wants you to come to him. He will work out the heart issues in it. He will work it out. And while you're getting that worked out, we're going to love. We're going to be patient. And that's where Lot kind of had things mixed up. He's like, I'll just be patient with these guys and not tell them how to change. And maybe somehow, and he's all confused. And he wasted his life. The third way to waste your life was to try to get things done in your flesh. The second way to try to waste your life was to try to change the world by telling them to change. And the first way was to be known for compromise. To be a compromising person. So they pressed hard against that man Lot, and they came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And then they struck the men with blindness who were outside the door, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. What they're asking Lot is, hey, Lot, how successful have you been in reaching the people of this city? Have you led anyone to the Lord? And what's the answer to that question? No. He was terrible as a witness. He had wasted his opportunity. Verse 13, For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters. They weren't quite married yet, but they were betrothed. That's how it worked. There was a time period of betrothal back then. And he said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But his sons-in-law To his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. This is a clear verdict on the effectiveness of Lot's ministry. It was a joke. It was a joke. No matter how serious he is about trying to save them now, his life of compromise, his trying to change them through behavior modification, his lack of the Holy Spirit has all drawn out, all of that, those problems have drowned out the sound of his warning. And now he sounds like a big joke. Because of those three things, his compromise, his trying to do things in his flesh, his just telling them to change. He just sounds dumb to them. When Abraham was speaking with God, he figured that Lot would have at least had a a small positive effect on the city, that he would have at least 10 people. I mean, he had lived there for a period of years, but he hadn't. He had wasted all of his time. Now, his ministry and all he cares about is all a big joke. You don't want that. I don't want my ministry to be that. I don't want my life to be that. When things are really coming down, 
when I see that judgment is right around the corner and I go to the people I love and I say, come on, let's go. And they're like, are you kidding me? You're a joke. You gotta be joking because you haven't lived like anything. Verse 15, the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, and you should underline that, he lingered, he lingered. What are you doing, Lot? The men took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters and the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out of the city and set him outside the city. Lot was so apathetic at the come towards the coming judgment because his heart was still in the city. He knew God was going to judge it, but he's just like, I really don't want to leave. I like what I got going on here. He's still in love with the city. This is a sign of backsliding and compromise has just overtaken his heart, yet God is still being merciful to him. Tell me again about that judgmental and wrathful God of the Old Testament that everyone tells me about. No, God, to those who have faith, God is everlasting in his mercy. He is so good. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Extra credit homework. Go see how those three things are related to these three ways that you waste your life. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the uh, flesh, and the pride of life. It's pretty easy, but it'll blow your mind. It's not that Lot loved the people in the city. That's not the problem. It's that he loved the city. It was fun. It was a rocking place to be. It was rewarding. Economically, he was doing all right. It was comfortable. David Guzek says, Lot was in the worst of all possible places. He had too much of the world to be happy in the Lord, and he had too much of the Lord to be happy in the world. Isn't that true in our lives? The things that used to make us happy in the world, we're just tormented when we take part in them now, once we know the Lord. It, we can't compromise. The Spirit doesn't allow it. The Spirit inside us does not give us peace about compromise. And if you do have peace with living a double life, you're not saved. You do not have the Holy Spirit inside you bringing that conviction. You're not a son because a son gets disciplined by his father and that happens to us through the Holy Spirit. In our hearts, we know we've done wrong. And the Holy Spirit will do that. So verse 17, so it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. And Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown, 
me by saving my life, but I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See, now the city is, this city is near enough to flee, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not just a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to them, See, I have favored you concerning this, this thing also, and it will not, I will not overthrow this city in which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city is called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. So they say to Lot, escape for your life, because you basically have nothing else. Escape with your life, because everything else is wasted. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it describes for us this same situation, but for a Christian. Because there might be lots in this room who angels are saying, escape with your life because you've wasted everything else. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For, one other, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he's lot doesn't say that, but it says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, just like the cities were burned, but he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. We can only build up our rewards on Jesus. What you share with people must be Jesus. When you serve people, it must be Jesus. Each of the three things that Lot did to waste his life were because he got his eyes off of Jesus. He wasn't building on with, with, the, with the gold and the precious stones. He was building with his own efforts of wood, hay, and stubble, and that's going to burn. And so when we build with Jesus, that's when we serve people and love people. He could have done that in Sodom. Just imagine how the story would have been different if Abraham would have been there instead of him. Just imagine, Abraham would have loved the people. He would have showed them what sacrifice meant. He wouldn't have just said, just change. He would have said, follow Jesus with me. Follow God with me. Come to church with me and see how wonderful God is, that God gives his life to us on a daily basis, that we partake of his body and blood weekly to have his spirit indwell us and fill us with power. Come see how good God is. That's how he could have done it, but he didn't. He wasted it, and so it is burned. All his sheep are burned. All his house was burned. All his friends were burned. Everything was burned, but he was saved. Yes, he was saved. Why? Because his faith was genuine. Verse 24 says, Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah and the Lord, from the Lord out of the heavens. 
So he overthrew those cities and all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. What did Lot say to his wife? Can you look back and see if anyone's following us? <laughs> the Hebrew word for looked back that's used here in Genesis chapter 19 is more than just to glance over your shoulder like, what was that sound? No, it, it means to regard or to consider or to pay attention to it. In other words, she was staring back at it saying, oh my gosh, my stuff, my friends, my life, my heart is back there. She longed for it. Some people believe that this picture is actually Lot's wife. They found this overlooking the Dead Sea. I have no idea. But it's kind of cool to think that. I don't know, but it's amazing that she actually turned into a pillar of salt. What do you think God could be trying to tell us through this? Well, I found in Luke chapter 17 a very interesting parallel that I'd like to share with you. And this is our last little thing today, but I, I hope you're blessed by this. In Luke chapter 17, verse 22, he said to his disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see... Um, one of the, uh, sorry, let me start over. I'm messing up my words. Then he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or, or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning flashes out of one part under heaven and shines to the other part under heaven, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by his genera this generation. And as was it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. But on the day when Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Second shortest verse in the Bible, right there. Verse 33, 32. Remember Lot's wife. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks his, to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. Jesus tells us that the lesson from Lot's wife is that caring about your earthly possessions or materialism will cost your life spiritually. 
it will cost you everything. You know, I thought about this this morning because I had some tree branches come down in my yard. We just got sawed in our yard. Like Friday, it was finished, or Thursday, it was finished, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh. My possessions, my grass is going to be messed up. Oh no. And I thought about this, and I thought, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's okay, because I don't want my spiritual life to be choked out by caring about my possessions. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses life will preserve it, Jesus said. If your life is truly about your possessions, you're looking back from Jesus. Looking at Jesus means we have to look away from what this world has to offer because they're just in two different directions. They're just in two different directions. This means if someone wants to be rich, it is a sin. I'm sorry. God has already promised to provide what you need if you look to him and trust him. If you look back or if you look in any other direction, and being rich is opposite of Jesus. And I'm not saying if you are rich, if God has given it to you, that you're in sin. I'm saying the heart that longs for it is sin. Because it's not the same direction as Jesus. Luke 16, 13 says, No man, no servant can have two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. Mammon was their word for riches. You can't follow Jesus while looking back over your shoulder. I need a brave volunteer. Who's a brave volunteer? BK is a brave volunteer. Come here, BK. Come up here. All right. You got to just pick one. God or Sodom. All right, so... You say God. All right. So we're going we're gonna to do this little, little illustration, okay? I'm going to go over here. I'm, I'm going to be Jesus. La. Got the beard. I'm good. All right. You're there. I'm here, okay? This is heaven over here. La. You guys are the angels. Praising Jesus. All right. You're in earth down there. All right? So I want you to look back at that clock and walk to me. All right, you fell, went to hell. I moved over here, so, so you weren't even close. You weren't watching me. You would have seen me if you were looking at me. I would have stepped up here. Come on up here. I had a seat for you right here. Totally messed it up. Everyone give BK a great hand. Because you can't follow Jesus when you're not looking at him. You know, you can't do it. There's lots of great illustrations about that, but you just pick one. You go to Sodom or you go with God. And remember, whoever seeks his, to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. It might feel like you're giving up your life to follow Jesus. Well, I can't focus on my career if I'm always following Jesus. Yeah. Well, I can't, I can't have all these hobbies if I'm going to follow Jesus. Right. Well, I can't. I can't do all the stuff I want to do and follow Jesus. Exactly. You have to lay down your life. But it's worth it because you'll save it. That's how you'll save it. 
Pastor Ed taught me a great lesson. You know, I remember him teaching and just really suck in. He sunk in. He said, I don't have any hobbies. I just follow Jesus. And he told me, Sean, I, I think you should do the same thing. And I took that to heart, and I was like, all right. I don't have any hobbies then. I have stuff that I would love to get into, you know, to give my attention to. I would love to listen to sports talk radio 24-7. I'd love to memorize stats of football scores. I, I love that stuff. But instead, when I get in the car today, I turn on a book, an audio book, or I listen to worship music. And that's a, an area of surrender in my life, and it hasn't always been that way. My wife can tell you, I've been into stuff, like where it consumed my attention. And it also got me distracted from Jesus. And I didn't think it was at the time. I didn't see any harm in just having a hobby. But then I realized I was, I was over here when I should have been over here. What am I doing? Jesus is calling us to follow him with total surrender. Total. Give him everything. He will save you. He knows how to deliver those who put their trust in him. That's the message of that, that verse in Peter that we've been focusing on. Lot's wife did not trust the Lord. She was faking it. She was not all in. She was not sure that Sodom was all that bad after all. She kind of liked her life there. It was comfortable in America. I mean, Sodom. It was comfy. She liked her iPads and her DirecTV. And she loved it all. And she was going to miss the pleasures and the fun there. She didn't want to go to the mountains either. She didn't want it. She was looking back so hard that she said, you know what? If that's their fate, I'm going with them. That's why she turned into salt. That's what she wanted. And that's why people go to hell too. It's very interesting that she is described as a pillar of salt. In Hebrew, the word pillar refers to a garrison or a deputy that is something that's set to watch over something else. That's why I like that picture. It looks like it's watching over the Dead Sea. And, and the image, you know, of her standing watching over the Dead Sea, where to this day no life can exist because it's dead, the, there's no fish alive in the Dead Sea. I've been there. It's true. It's just too salty. It's a reminder for us to not look back or turn from the profession of faith that we have made, but to follow Christ without fail and to abide in his love and grace. That's what it is. It stands there to this day, maybe. Maybe it is her. That would be cool. I have no idea. But if it is, it stands there to tell us, trust Jesus alone. And that's what it's there for. It's a pillar now. And that's what our exhortation is today, to trust Jesus alone. Don't look back. Don't look at hobbies. Don't look at money. Don't look at your jobs. Jesus, love those people in your life. Truly minister to them. Amen? Let's all stand up. Thank you guys so much for coming out to church on a snowy day. Some of you are like more than ready to give birth, but 
still here at church, you deserve a round of applause. You have like the Mother's Day miracle going on. So we're going we're gonna, to um, sing another song and we're going to come take communion. And as we do that, you know, we're going to, the exhortation is to follow Jesus, him alone. So as you, as you take of the, the cracker and you remember what he did for you with his body, and you take of the cup of grape juice and you remember that new life that was poured into you, just enjoy it. Let it consume your attention. Let him have your attention. And in the, um, this week that we're going to have, we got a busy week, and I'm sure you guys all have your own stuff. As a church, we have a really busy week, and I just hope none of it distracts us from Jesus. And if this church building ever becomes a distraction for us through Jesus, I expect you all to say, let's leave. Let's go to a park. Let's do something that gets us, gets us back to just following Jesus. I do not want this church building to become mammon for us. And I don't want us and our ministry to turn into a pillar of salt where we're just waste, a waste.